This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to the Ramdas Here and Now podcast. I'm your host, Raghu Marcus. Well, we've been doing these podcasts for a little bit now. Seems like well, maybe we're going on a couple of months. And the idea that we had was to uh, deliver to you a little bit of an introduction from me, which is, you know, kind of how I met Ramdas and then went off to India and met Maharaji and that journey. And also the the lectures that we are presenting of Ramdas are from the late 60s. They basically are his transformation story and they are his guidelines for living a spiritual life, as simple as that. And they probably, most of them, form the basis for the book Remember Be Here Now, which most of us hopefully remember. If not, pick that book up. It's an amazing book. Um, so I started noticing in these lectures some, something pretty interesting. I mean, they were done. Ramdas went to India in 67. He spent about six months there after he met Maharaji um, and came back to America. And as everyone knows, he started going around lecturing after, of course, Maharaji telling him not to tell a word about him. Now, it's, I just want to point one little example out of something. So this, he went back to India after those uh, maybe a few intervening years. I mean, he was in America, 68, 9, and part of 70. And then he went back to India, and that's when a bunch of us went over as well. So in this lecture, and actually it's part of the lecture that follows this little introduction, Ramdas is talking a lot about how he manipulated his, what he calls, puny ego to move in and out of finding consciousness, but at the same time, it was a lot of manipulation was going on in his mind. And he was getting high, so he'd be out of time and space, but he'd always crash, which was one of the big motivations he had to get to India originally. So he talked about all of this, and he talked about once you've seen through the illusion, then, well, there's really no going back on one level, is, and this is what he's talking about in the lecture. But at the same time, you recognize you have this personality and you're going to live with it for the rest of your life. But at the same time, you're able to get behind it into a witness and a non-judgmental basis. So your life becomes something other once you see through this illusion, and that's what he's talking about. So... I'm, I was just looking through notes that I had from when I was there, way back when. And Maharaji said to us one day, regarding this very question that Ramdas brought up, before Maharaji said it, years later. He said, you must honor your personality to gain freedom from the tyranny of thought forms. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I didn't remember it, but uh, something so valuable. And what's even more amazing is Ramdas had this thing coming through him from Maharaji even before Maharaji himself said it to us. Well, maybe I'm getting too dramatic, but um, regarding manipulating that puny ego, 
I'll tell a little story. I was sitting at one point. One of us in the group made a whole bunch of these cute stamps of pictures of Maharaji. Gave them out to everybody. Maharaji used to ask for them, and we go here, and he'd take the stamps. And of course, you'd expect him to give equal amounts to everybody who was there, and he'd give the whole damn thing to one schlub that you can't. Oh my God, he gave it to this person. One person. Anyhow, so of course. Uh, I'm sitting in front of him, not right in front of him, but about 20, 30 feet away. He was talking to somebody, and he asked for some stamps, and I had some stamps right in front of them, him. I ripped them in half, went up to him, and gave him half. Well, he looked at me like I was handing him poop. I mean, it was like, are you out of your mind? I mean, this is, he saw me do it. It wasn't like prescient or anything. He wasn't going into the universe or whatever. It was just right in front of his eyes. So he went, nay, ciao, which means leave immediately, which I did. And uh, then I looked for a place to hang myself because I was so depressed for days. I mean, that was just a transparent, ridiculous, puny ego thing of holding on to something. So a couple of days later, I went, I was back in Kenshi and he said, anybody got any stamps? And sure enough, I had those same stamps. You bet I gave all of them to him. <laughs> he gave them all to somebody else. And he turned back to me and he had his finger pointed as, as he does. You can see it in some pictures with that look on his face. Watch out, buddy. Anyhow, that was just, uh, I mean, we were just in our 20s at the time, you know. Um, we didn't know nothing from nothing. Uh, so that was a little bit slice of life of being there with Neem Karoli Baba. So what happened to me was I went through the doorway and I thought, oh, wow, it isn't like I thought it was at all. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to spend my whole life manipulating this puny ego through a set of power games and a set of sensual gratifications, and what's the payoff? The end is it's going to all end anyway, because it's all in time. And suddenly I think that who I am at that moment when I'm, quote, stoned, quote, high, I am out of time, I am out of space. But boy, does it feel valid, does it feel real? It feels like the first real thing that's ever happened to me. Everything else had a certain, like, hustle quality to it. And except my suffering. I mean, I was really into my suffering. I mean, you really get into your suffering. Self-pity, that's real. You know, everything else may go, but boy, you got to suffer. And we're just coming out of the dark night of the Protestant ethic. You know, suffer, baby. That's the only way you'll be good. Suffer some more. Oh, I really suffer. Oh, it feels so good. It hurts so bad. We've all been the trip. We've all been the trip. Suffering is great. It's like straightening by fire. It's purifying. It's very good. But the funny thing about one another paradox, this trip requires total suffering, but it's got to be suffering that's no suffering. 
I mean, you just got to go the whole suffering trip, but you can't be the guy that's suffering. Do you think, by the way, that when Christ is standing there and they're nailing nails in, he says, oh man, does that hurt? (laughs) He's probably looking at the guy that's nailing it in with absolute compassion. He digs why the cat's doing it, what he's stuck in, how much dust covers his eyes, why he's got to be doing it. That's the way it is. He said the night before, he says, well, tomorrow is the big trip. I got to go on it. You know, I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah, right, there are the nails. Wow, look at that. I go to the dentist, and the dentist says, I'm going to have to drill near a nerve. I'll give you Novocaine. No, don't give me Novocaine. What do you mean you want Novocaine? It'll be terrible. It's pain. It's interesting. Well, all right. (laughs) Boy, it's pain. It's really interesting. It really is interesting. (laughs) But who am I? Am I he who is being pained? No, that's the thing. Once you know that, then pleasure and pain and fame and shame and loss and gain are all the same. (laughs) They're all just happening to you. They're just like, you know, you're standing on a bridge watching it go by. Wow. Wow, look at that. Boy, ooh. Once you have seen through the illusion, and that, as I told you, wasn't your choice. It just was your karmic, your karmic, your karma that at this particular lifetime, and I know you all went through changes when I say this particular lifetime. You mean there were other lifetimes? You mean you believe in reincarnation? Well, I'll take you through that very gradually in about five minutes. <laughs> we're going to go the whole trip tonight. Last night, let's blow it all. (laughs) For some reason or other, this trip, you woke up. I mean, you went through lots of trips before this, and you can see all the trips you went through out on the street. You're meeting them all the time. Guy carrying the burden of his personality through life. I've spent... 32 years in analysis, and I'm now making, I'm now coping. (laughs) Boy, he's not going to make it this round. But the minute the moment has come, where the veil just gets thin enough so that you see through for a second. So that when you go to church on Sunday and and they read, they, they sing a hymn. Humbly I adore thee, Verity unseen, who thy glory hidest neath these shadows mean. Lo, to thee surrendered, my whole heart is bowed, tranced as it beholds thee, shrined within the cloud. That's a hymn from the Apalian hymnal, Protestant hymnal. 
Okay? The words were St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, you could very easily be somebody who's gone to the Episcopal Church of a Sunday morning because somebody took you or because you were looking, and you may have sung, Humbly I adore thee, verity unseen. Just think of all the thousands of people who sing that and they don't know what it's talking about. They're just doing the words as if it's like praying to idols. They're doing the words as if the words are going to do it to them. But the seed hasn't been planted. The veil hasn't lifted. They're doing it. They're on an ego trip. Look how good I am going to church. It's called the golden chain in India. The golden chain. They're good people. See, they're not bad people. Bad people are like doing heavy things. They're laying heavy things on each other. Well, it's good people laying heavy things on each other, too, but it's a, I, the word heavy is too complicated for you. In fact, it's going through a metamorphosis. It's got a whole new meaning now. But good people are in a tricky position because they're they're doing what the outward manifestation of the thing is, but the inner thing isn't happening. It's very poignant, very poignant. But it's all right because they're they're in the going in the right direction. Another round or two. Another round or two, and they'll make it. They'll they'll hear the words that they're singing. I go to church in the little town I live in in New Hampshire. And all the people sing these hymns, and nothing's happening. They walk in all uptight, and they walk out all uptight. Maybe they're a little calmer. I see them, and lights flash, and I get so stoned, I want to run down the aisle and shout, Whoa! You know, listen to those words, and it's really here. You're singing about it all, just the way it really is. really like the book says. It's not like you think it is at all. <laughs> psychotic. <laughs> Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Careful. The psychosis business is an interesting business. I, um, you see, if you, if you go through the doorway too fast and you're not ready for it, and you're getting hit, bound hand and foot and thrown out in outer darkness, you may land anywhere. And lots of people land in mental hospitals. And the reason they do that is because they went in through the door with their ego. See, they said like, wow, I've been invited to the wedding feast. I mean, dig me, <laughs> Sam Jones in heaven. <laughs> you know, Sam Jones standing at the right side of the Lord. There's the Lord, and there's Gabriel, and there's Sam Jones. <laughs> they don't understand that you've got to die to be born. That only when you have been born again do you enter the kingdom of heaven. So they've gone in on the first round. And what happens is they go on a huge ego trip. And it's called the messianic complex. It's called paranoia. Delusions of grandeur. I have a brother who is in a mental hospital. He thinks he is Christ. Well, that's groovy. I am Christ also. 
But he doesn't think I'm Christ, he just thinks he's Christ. <laughs> because it happened to him, and he took his ego with him, so he says, like, I'm special. And when I say to him, sure, man, you're Christ, I'm Christ too, he says, you don't understand. <laughs> and so when he's out, he steals cars and things like that, because he needs them, because he's Christ, it's all right. So they lock him up. He says, I don't know, he said... Me, I'm a responsible member of society. I go to church. Me, they put in a mental hospital. You, you've got a beard, you wear a dress. You, you're out free. <laughs> sure, because as far as I'm concerned, we're all God. That's the difference. That's the difference. And if you really think another guy's God, he doesn't lock you up. It's funny about that. But you've got to be really pure. You've got to really think it. You can't just make believe you think it. Anything less than total purity, back out in an hour of darkness, send him around again. Send him around again. That's what you learn after a couple of hundred psychedelic trips. Well, I might as well get straight because I'm getting to feel like a yo-yo. I keep going up and coming down, up and down. As long as there's an up and down, as long as there's a high and a low in your head, out of darkness. As long as you're in the world of yin and yang, out of darkness. It takes a lot of purification. Purification of what? Purification of thought, purification of body, freedom from attachment. Freedom from attachment. And after a long time of going up and down, without understanding why I was going up and down or how to stop it, how to stop the going down, slowly, slowly it dawned on me. Now, why did I keep trying? The answer is very simple, and almost all of you know the answer already. The answer is once the seed is in you, you don't have any choice. Again, it's karma. I mean, I keep raising that nasty word, and I'll, I'll define it in a moment, but it's built into you. Once you have seen what it all is like, you just can't go back to playing bridge. It just doesn't make it. It's like, imagine you're uh, prepubescent. You're just at puberty. And you have been playing... Um, Ollie, ollie, and free, uh, hide and seek. Or you've been playing baseball, and you're really, you collect baseball cards, and you're really into collecting baseball cards, and Coca-Cola caps that have baseball plays, and you're really into it. I mean, really, I mean, it's really important. Really important. And then some strange thing happens 
un, uncontrolled by you, and you find yourself turned on by the chick next door. And through some strange set of circumstances, you find yourself kissing her, and all kinds of lights flash. Well, from that moment on, the baseball cards are just different. They're just different. You can go back and say, well, that's all interesting, but the baseball cards are really what's important. <laughs> that's called defense. <laughs> the thing happened, the seed got planted. No turning back. No turning back. Once you sense the possibility, once you just feel that other thing inside of you, you start in this most almost, it's almost, uh, it's completely unconscious mechanism of searching, listening for the messages. Do you know? Do you know? Do you have the key? Where's the next message? Where's the next message? And the interesting thing is, there is always the next message, and it's always available to you. Now, that's a hard one. Some of you, I mean, this is like, I, I'm going through this thing of like people saying, what's going to happen when you go away? <laughs> Who's going where, first of all? Second of all, it has nothing to do with me. The process is going on in each individual. Whenever you're ready, you hear the next message. The next message is where you are when you're ready to hear the next message. If you come here this evening and you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, you are not ready to hear this message. And you can be sitting here and there's no message. Somebody else comes here and they say, wow, that's the message I was waiting for. Both of you are in this room at this very moment. The handwriting is always on the wall saying, Magic Theater for Mad Men only, price of admission, your mind. <laughs> Herman Hesse's metaphor from Steppenwolf. Always there. Question is, can you see it? The funny thing about all of the secrets of the East or of the secrets of mysticism is they're not secrets. Nobody's saying, don't tell him. <laughs> they're telling you, they're yelling at it. He's saying, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a secret. Think of how many times you heard that, and you said, well, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, great. That's a minister talking. He's doing his thing. He's got to earn a living, too. He's a good guy. Because you can't, it isn't a, the secret is a secret to you because of where your head is at. Your receiving mechanism isn't tuned for that particular frequency. Okay, now, no nonsense, how do I really think it is? I've been on a trip now. My trip has taken me through psychology, more or less responsibly. Um, 
then it took me from my academic career, psychology, into psychedelics and exploring the within chemically, which led me to end my psychology career rather um, dramatically by being fired from Harvard. Then I pursued the psychedelics for a long time, and then I got that feeling of being a yo-yo. And then I finally went to the East looking for, seeing if anybody knew anything else, since I didn't know enough to figure out how to do this trip. I couldn't stay inside the door. I didn't know what to do next. I kept reading the books, but I didn't understand them. They were yelling the secrets, but I couldn't hear them, because I was looking at them from the wrong place. That was my problem. And I couldn't get my head in the right place to see where they were about. Because I still wanted to know I knew, see. I was still Western rational man. We'll figure this thing out. Psychic phenomena, very interesting. We certainly must do further research. So I went and I looked and I looked and I looked and as long as I looked like a rational man looking I didn't find anything. I just found my own shadow all the time. So all you can ever find is yourself. You only read yourself, you only talk to yourself, you only ever know yourself. That's all there is. That's all there is, strangely enough. And then I gave up. I saw that my whole game didn't work. Didn't work. It gave me all the rewards that were seemed to be offered, but it didn't work. It didn't, you know, there was that place in me that knew it wasn't working. I knew there was something else, and I couldn't get to it. Couldn't get to it. At that point, I gave up, and then I was ready for the next message, and then the next message was standing right there, was sitting right in the a hippie restaurant, the Blue Tibetan restaurant, in Kathmandu, Nepal. And the message took me by the hand and took me the whole trip and took me to my next message giver. Who was a being who had, who had finished the trip. He didn't come down anymore. He was inside the gates. There he was. He was a realized being. And he did the thing. He blew my mind. He finished me with my rational trip. That is a brief chronology of the series of dramas that unfolded in this illusion that one calls sadhana, or spiritual path. Now, after having studied psychology and guided psychedelic trips and read Eastern books and met realized beings and, and listened to innumerable stories from people about other realized beings and their own trips and inner heads and been a psychotherapist for 10 years and all. This is the way it looks to me. I'm not asking anybody to buy anything. There's no sale going on here. No sale. Because there's nobody sending a message. 
You and I are here, we're observing this process. That's all that's going on. If I'm trying to convince you, I might just as well pack up my whatever holy men have <laughs> and wend my way down 3rd Avenue. Because if I'm trying, I can be assured of failure. There's no trying, because there's no you and there's no me. Here we are, we're just exploring how it is. I'm our mouth. I'm our mouth. I once took LSD with Alan Watts and his wife, and he started to talk, and he talked for eight hours. And at first I got uptight. I mean, you know, like, I know something. Why doesn't he ask me, you know? Like, <laughs> He just going to talk all night? And then it dawned on me that he was just our mouth. He was our mouth. And it was beautiful because every time it, our thoughts didn't fit with what he was saying, his, what he was saying would change. He was extremely sensitive. And he was the most erudite mouth we've, I've ever spoken through. <laughs> How is it? How is it then? Statement number one. We, rational man, is not the highest being on the evolutionary scale at this moment. There are beings that are realized beings that are, do not live in bodies whose awareness functions at a higher rate of vibration than ours does. They do not process data through gross senses, through eyes, ears, nose, mouth, skin, or do they know through their intellect. Statement number one. Statement number two, we are all eligible to enter the next evolutionary stage to the extent that we are able to extricate ourselves from the time-space locus in which we find ourselves. by which I mean changing one's vibrational rate, if you will. Available to everybody. It has nothing to do with you've got to wait till you die. It's available right here now, this minute, here and now. In fact, if you could turn off your senses and turn off your intellect right now, you'd be here. You'd really be here. It's as simple as that. You don't have to plan, shall I go become enlightened or become a physicist? <laughs> doesn't work that way. You don't have to do that trick. If you think of mass as solid, that's because you are trusting your senses. 
and you look at something and it looks solid most of the time if you're if you're at the usual way of seeing things everybody agrees it's solid when it hits you it hurts it must be real when you get a little more sophisticated in rational ways if you get a little further into physics you understand about the relation of mass and energy and you understand that what appears as mass only appears that way because of the nature of the receiving apparatus of your senses and that in fact all solids are in fact just energy they're patterns of energy that you could call them slow down light slow down light And when it is slowed down and forms into certain patterns, it gets gross enough so you can see it through your eyes. It's just like going from infrared or ultraviolet through the spectrum of the visual field. When, it's, when the rate, the vibration rate changes, you can see it. Or if it gets to a point where you can't see it or can't hear it. If it gets too high, only dogs can hear it. You can't hear it. As you go up in that rate of that frequency, that vibrational frequency, you get to light. You get to thought. See, the reason we can't measure thought yet, really, is because we just don't have apparatuses for measuring at those vibrational rates yet. I mean, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of cases of people transmitting thought from one being to another. I once visited J.B. Ryan down at Duke, North Carolina, and J.B. was sitting there with this peculiar position on his desk, piled like yay high, and in closets are letters from thousands of people describing the experience of thought transmission. But when he tries to do it in the laboratory, he can only do a little better than chance. It's like, we know it exists, but we can't know we know it. It's one of those problems. Can't know we know it. Keep going faster and faster in the vibratory rate and in the smallness of the unit that's vibrating until you get to the tiniest quanta of energy. Tiniest quanta of energy. It is so tiny that it's only in combination that it makes up atoms or makes up the components of atoms even. Physicists now work with these things theoretically. That energy is so fine that the entire universe is composed of it and it's solid. You, Mars, the air, vacuum, the flowers, the candle flame, my thought, it's all made up of the same stuff. It's just in patterns. It's just in patterns. 
Now, if you are able, this is a fact I am telling you now from where I'm sitting. If you are able to pursue the discipline of extricating your, your awareness, your consciousness from your own senses and from your own thought, you become part of that finest energy. What are the qualities of that energy? It is totally interchangeable in everything in the universe. Totally interchangeable. So that if a part of it was a part of this flower at this moment, it might be a part of Mars the next moment, or a part of the vacuum the next moment. It's all the same stuff. At that point, when you look at, if you could look at the world, if you could clear away all that stuff out of your eyes and see the universe at that level of energy, if you could turn your receiver so you could get it at that level, all you would see was a homogeneous white light. You'd see the clear white light. You would see, I, you'd say, that is all and everything. And yet it has no, no form to it because it is where energy lies behind form. Where energy lies behind form. When you are able to extricate yourself from the time and space illusion, and it is an illusion as it turns out, the question is, who am I? Who am I? Am I this body? Am I these senses? Am I this thought process? I cogito ergo sum. It's a lie. It's a lie. Sum ergo cogito is perhaps, perhaps reasonable. That's a lie too, but so are all words. This podcast has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the Foundation and for Ramdas's work, and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to Ramdas.org and click on the Donate Now button and follow the prompts. Thank you.